Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. You've got questions, we've got answers. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace life. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. Hey, girl. Hey. Julie Bender in the house with Darlene Brock. <laughs> in literally Darlene's house. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah. Why don't we record at my house? We could do that. We Just could kidding. do I'm that. I'm not inviting you to do that. Oh. This is way better. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> I kind of feel offended right now. I mean, no, that's, it will be better if we keep doing it here. All Back right. to the topic, please. <laughs> Turn this thing around. Yeah. Speaking of changes in life, um, you know, sometimes we do find ourselves in situations where everything is pulled out from under us for one reason or another, mm-hmm. and we have to make a significant life change. I mean, yeah, I've done that a time or two. I mean, we all know you're a couple minutes older than me. You've done that a time or two as well. Oh, I love you. A couple (laughs) minutes older. Yeah, at least a time or two. And I think you have to pull every single resource you have to figure out how to make that change. Your emotional, spiritual, mental resource to, to make whatever comes, come. Yep. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But real quick, let's start with some facts about how the mind assists us in kind of making any sort of change that needs to take place. Julie, did you know your brain storage capacity is considered virtually unlimited? Ooh, science. Yeah. Research suggests that the human brain consists of about 86 billion neurons that can combine and increase your capacity for learning and memorization. Well, that makes me feel like I should never forget anything. <laughs> I'm kind of bummed right now because I forget a lot, so my neurons must be falling maybe apart. You have a, a maybe, maybe they lessen with time. Yeah. Pretend I didn't say that, actually. Keep going. <laughs> Brain information travels up to an impressive 268 miles per hour. That was shocking. That is shocking. And do you know, I watched a NASCAR race the other day. They were going like, oh, I don't know, 200 and something. It's fast. It's Very really, really fast. fast. And yes. of course, I wanted to be driving one of those cars. Isn't that one of your life goals? It's it like is. your last bucket list item? It is. And I'll probably crash and go to heaven. Oh my goodness. Okay. Moving. <laughs> Speaking of, when we experience trauma, our brains rely on negative blueprints of the past and keep warning us of present danger long after the threat of traumatic experience ends. I feel like I've experienced that, where your mind tells you something of a previous experience that's not currently happening, but you almost can't help but feeling as though it's a similar or a reoccurrence. Yeah, and I think all the emotions kind of follow that, kind of the, oops, oh boy, here it comes. All right, did you know that our brain weighs about three pounds That's as much as a half a gallon of milk. When I first read that, I was like, that's not true. It's the human head is eight pounds. And I was like, oh, the whole head is eight and the brain is How did you know that the human head was eight pounds? Well, I can't think of Jerry Maguire. Oh. Anyone who's seen Jerry Maguire, (laughs) it's like the second most popular quote of that movie. I'm sorry. I love your scientific (laughs) sources. (laughs) I love the adorable kid on Jerry Maguire. Okay. Okay. The human brain has the capacity to generate approximately 23 watts of power when awake. See, this would maybe be more impactful to me if I had any sort of like idea of what power wattage okay. does. I just wish y'all could see Julie's face <laughs> right now because she's looking at me like, so what? Uh, <laughs> what does that mean exactly? Moving on. <laughs> and last but not least, studies show that our brains are malleable. 
Through continued effort and trying new strategies, they get stronger, just like muscles. This is known as the growth mindset. Mm. Now, this is absolutely true, and we've experienced this in our own lives, whether we've maybe taken time to think about it or not. True. So true. I think what we're getting at is we have the capacity to change how we think and how we view our ability to accomplish something, to move on from something, to heal from something. And really what it takes is a willingness to choose to believe those things and put into practice steps that might be necessary. And I think this is especially true when life just throws everything at you where what you thought was going to happen, the road that you were on, the path that you were following completely fell apart for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Today's guest had her world turned upside down later in life, and she's sharing how she was able to jumpstart that life again. Our guest is Marlis johnson Laurie. She's a speaker, an award-winning writer, and a big fan of chai lattes. Wait, we allow people who don't drink coffee on the show? <laughs> well, today we News are. News to me. Look at us. We're expanding our minds. She loves getting outdoors and would rather lace up hiking boots than go shopping. Marlis has a passion for encouraging people to live well in the hard and holy moments of life with hearts wide open. Welcome, Marlis. It's great to have you today. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited to finally get to meet you because I feel like I've been reading your words over a Grit and Grace Life for a while, but this will be fun to kind of really get to know you a little bit and hear more of your story. Thanks. And you too, Julie. Oh, yay. Okay. So we've hinted at it. I know that you recently married a wonderful man and you have this big, extended, blended family that the Lord is blessing, but certainly that's not the whole story. So let's rewind it back. Can you tell me a little bit about your life with your first husband? Um, Gary was a kind man and very easy to be married to. Uh, he had a, a delightful, dry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people would do a double take, like, what did he just say? <laughs> we had um, two children together. He was very family oriented. I think the thing I appreciated most is that we were a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so through the years, we hosted various small groups. We trained to be part of a lay counseling church uh, team. We worked with youth and college age singles. So we both had this sense of wanting to make a difference. Mm, I love that. But, you know, I know you lost him and you, you were on a path of that, doing something together as a team, and then everything changed. What happened? Uh, so he was diagnosed with uh, late stage cancer. Mm. And um, I was overwhelmed because this diagnosis came on the heels of two years of unemployment Um, During that time, we had sold our home and cashed out our retirement investments. Um, I had to give up work that I loved at a nonprofit to find a job that paid better and carried benefits. And then in the middle of the financial strain, my mom moved in with us and she had um, Alzheimer's. So the terminal cancer diagnosis was incredibly overwhelming on top of everything else. And, And yes, I knew that our lives would never be the same again. That sounds incredibly stressful, even as you're just kind of ticking off listing those things. um, I could imagine anyone would really struggle with kind of those repeated, you know, findings and and changes that you were experiencing. What was it like, you know, having to watch him deteriorate and ultimately pass away? And and tell me about that season of of life change. Yes, as you can imagine, that was um, distressful. And like I said, I knew that our lives would never be the same again. But um, also everything that we did 
um, was very team oriented. Um, for example, after his diagnosis with cancer, we established a nonprofit and we working around our day jobs, traveled to all regions of the country, sharing what we were doing to live well with late stage disease. Mm -hmm. And um, we even got to share about our faith in that. Um, I also worked at the cancer center, ironically, mm -hmm. and one of my jobs was to facilitate an annual weekend camp for uh, cancer survivors, for their caregivers, their families. Mm -hmm. And that gave us the idea to host, eventually we would love, had this dream of owning some country property and hosting cancer survivor and caregiver retreats. And mm -hmm. so now all of that was gone. I didn't just lose a husband and a life partner and a friend. I lost, you know, like a ministry partner. Yeah, like a dream. Yeah, and I can't imagine, Marlis, I'm just kind of replaying what you said earlier about job loss, financial strain, financial loss, your mom moving in with, you know, she needed care, and then his diagnosis. Any one of those would have totally devastated me, would have totally unnerved me, but collectively, and then, you know, I know, I know my husband and I have always done things together. We've been in business together. We've shared every single part of what we've both been as a partnership. And it had to have been somebody lopped off half of you. In addition to the fact that your life had changed enormously, I would think you would feel like half of you is gone. Yes, absolutely. How did you cope with that? How did you respond to that? So um, I think there were uh, a number of specific things that I did that really helped. And obviously my faith was critical. Um, I'll admit that I struggled with self-pity. You know, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? And I struggled with a sense of hopelessness and with, with frustration. But I knew that these weren't random events. I knew that God was not caught off guard and that somehow there had to be a purpose for all of this. Mm. Um, and the second thing I did, um, I determined to stay connected to the people in my life. I watched my mother-in-law after she lost her husband at a relatively early age. I watched her withdraw from the people who cared for her. And I, and I listened to her say, no, I would just be a fifth wheel. Mm. And I determined early on that I would stay connected to the people who wanted me to, to be a part of their lives. And the last thing I think that really helped during that time is I learned to develop an outward focus. So I could choose to count all the things I'd lost, or I could count what still remains. I could look outwardly at other people who were suffering or in pain, and I could do maybe my small, small little part in helping carry their weight. And so that way I'm not focused on my own sorrow and losses. You know, I really love that. But for those out there who are maybe feeling like I'm really struggling with life, I, I think, and I know you feel this way, I would want to encourage them that if you feel bad about where you are and think, why did this happen to me? God has no problem with you having every single one of those emotions. And I'm sure you had to, dis to discover that yourself, Marlis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, when she said that, I thought, I mean, that's a crucial part of the process because if skipping that is probably on some level a denial or a dishonesty of really being able to assess where you've been, where you are, in order for there to be true hope for ever finding what feels like joy again. Yes, yes, absolutely. Speaking of finding joy again, 
I know you eventually, maybe even reluctantly, started dating again. Tell us about that. Oh, my goodness. So dating was fun until it wasn't. It was, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I that's so that, true. That, that's like a real life <laughs> term. So accurate. I love it. it. It was fun until I felt like I was back in junior high. So one man even ghosted me. It's like, I don't have time to be ghosted. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So Julie, did you have that same junior high experience? Yes. It, I, it's so the way you said it is so true. It was fun. I remember telling Dar, like, I'm really enjoying this, actually. All, haters gonna hate, but I am having fun. And then I was like, like, okay, I'm done with fun. Okay, God, I'm over this. Can you bring the right one now, please? And then it took longer than I wanted it to. And that's all right, too. Yeah. What cracks me up, Marlis, that you just said is one guy ghosted you. And, you know, I, I know that we're in similar age groups, you and I. And I would have, at the time, probably had to go okay, what exactly is ghosting? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's totally, yeah. that is just part of the dating world. And I think some people can yeah. get super discouraged by that. But it is what it is yeah it is yeah so how did you cope let's let's roll back before we we talk about your sweet husband now give us a little bit of the behind the scenes of Marlis in this new dating world tell us a little bit of that story oh my goodness so I had a friend who found her husband on a dating app and she wanted to set me up and it's like um no thank you I, I want him to find me I don't want to go looking for oh, him oh, and fresh. so I really didn't I really didn't <laughs> I I really didn't date that much but that was mostly um at girlfriends who would say oh just go and have coffee with him and um like I said it was it was fun and then it just got really um different. And the thing that I was most disappointed in myself is um, there was one man I dated with a number of red flags, and I didn't even notice them, or I made excuses for them. You know, we say, oh, I can change him later, or I can live with this. And so I learned such a valuable experience about, um, you know, keeping your eyes wide open and listening to the people around you who love you and care for you, because they have clearer vision than you do when you're in the middle of of an emotionally attached situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I really wanted to hear more about those red flags, but I think that she's cutting us off there. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I'm like nodding along, like thinking back to my season of dating. And, and I bet Dar's even, you know, rethinking some of the things that we talked about off mic. And it's all just kind of part of the process. I remember really feeling yeah. like, this is hard and good, and I'm learning so much about myself, and better I learn it yeah. now with, uh, pardon my frankness, this loser, so that I'm better <laughs> off when the right one comes along, and I've kind of worked through that kink or whatever, or that issue with myself. Yeah. Well, and what I find yeah. interesting in this conversation, ladies, because uh, I've been married to the same man for a thousand years, <laughs> is that it almost doesn't matter what age you mm-hmm. are when you mm-hmm. enter this arena, it's kind of the same story. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yes. For sure. You would think that people my age, I, you know, in my 60s, you would think we would be beyond junior high, but apparently not. No, it's, it's just something about that experience of does he like me? You know, will he call me that it's kind of it kind of boils down to the same type of experience with maybe yeah. a different hairdo. My husband always says different hairdo, yeah. which is funny because he doesn't really have hair. OK, so tell us about when you did meet your husband. Well, so I had decided, you know, to get off that uh, dating roller coaster ride, and I was very content. And, you know, people wanted me around my kids and my in-laws, and and uh, so I um, 
actually wanted to write a story about the shower truck, uh, which is this really cool truck in our hometown that provides hot showers for the homeless. And so I interviewed five people who were instrumental in this. And one of them was Dan and uh, he was a cancer widower uh interestingly Mm -hmm. and he was one of the two men who had helped design the truck and build it and so we talked long after the interview was over about the things we had in common cancer caregiving our loss our grief Uh, and when we were leaving that day he told me how helpful it was to talk with someone who knew what he was going through and i said what you girls would say i i said anytime and in short order, he took me up on that. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I really didn't mean that. I'm not sure I meant that. <laughs> and so we continued our conversations. I continued asking him questions about his first wife and his kids and how they managed and how he managed. It was two years of caregiving. Hers was a long, slow passing away. And um, we did this in our hiking boots and in our snowshoes and mm-hmm. and uh, pouring chai lattes from his thermos high on the sides of mountains. And the cool thing is there was no pressure for this to be anything other than a sweet friendship. And I was honestly enjoying the male companionship. And um, he had said earlier to me, maybe on um, one of our first non-date dates, because we weren't dating, right? We were just friends, right? <laughs> okay, wait a minute. I, just I know, wanna, I'm like, I, I have 400 questions. Yeah, I want to ask one question here. Did he yes. think you weren't dating? Um, no. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, let her answer. <laughs> so so what well, he had said early on that a friend of his who was widowed had told him, it'll be about a year from your wife's passing before you feel like dating again. So I understood that to mean we would build a friendship. He wanted us to build a friendship for a year, but um, his timeline was much shorter than that. But that's, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, even just as you said that, I- I'm shaking my head that his friend said that because it's like, everybody's different. There is exactly. no actual timeline. You'll just know. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so, I love that Dara yeah. said, though, as you're, as you're sipping chai lattes on the top of a mountain, but it's not romantic, whatever. <laughs> were you realizing that this is becoming more, but you were like trying to pretend that it wasn't more yet? He was gone for um, a couple of months to, to Mexico with a friend doing some um, short-term missions work. And I was on a self-imposed riding retreat on uh, in this remote cabin on a couple thousand acres. And um, I felt, I was, I walked every, every uh, afternoon after lunch and I felt like God impressing on my heart what are you afraid of daughter and i was arguing with myself and with mm-hmm. god it's like i'm not afraid i'm the brave girl remember mm-hmm. i'm here on two thousand acres by myself for six weeks mm-hmm. i'm the brave girl and god kept impressing on my heart what are you afraid of mm-hmm. and i came to understand that all my reasons for getting off that roller coaster ride all my reasons for wanting to stay single really amounted to fear mm-hmm. and so i spoke those fears out loud on these elk tracks and these Jeep trails. And I I was brutal with myself. I said out loud, I'm afraid that uh, the man I marry wouldn't understand that my deceased husband's family is still my family. These are my brothers and sisters. These are my nieces and nephews. I'm afraid that moving into the house where a previous wife decorated would feel like moving in as as the maid and the cook and the mistress. I'm afraid. And I listed these seven things that I thought were good reasons to stay single 
that were really fears. And so that's what helped me understand that time that we were separated. We'd been, you know, hiking and snowshoeing together, and then we were separated for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And I came to understand how much I'd I'd care for him. And I think he came to understand the same thing in the absence. And that's when I started thinking, oh, but I don't want this to be more than what it is. And that's when God pointed out its fear. Mm. Well, I, I have to say this. How could you fear a man who takes a thermos on the t- side of a mountain <laughs> of chai latte and hikes with you and works with nonprofits and, you know, helps homeless people with showers? And yet he, exactly. he's the perfect man for you. And I think yes. that every woman fi- in this place has to find the perfect man for them. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think the truth is, yeah. is on, on every level vulnerability and choosing to, you know, bare your heart and to risk, you know, the intimacy that comes with love is a risk. And then when you put yes. on all of the layers of the pain and the loss that you had been through, it just, it, it can feel too scary. I certainly, certainly resonate with a lot of those feelings, but it sounds yeah. like, and obviously spoiler alert, you certainly fell in love with him. And he was yes. likely already in love with you. So tell us what it was like rebuilding a life, rebuilding your life oh. and starting over. So starting over. Um, so I think um, I, I learned a couple things about myself. And of mm-hmm. course, the fear thing that I just shared with you um, and listening listing those fears helped break the power that it had over me and um, and just surrendering completely to God, trusting God completely. There was this song at the time by uh for king and country and he talked about the lyrics talk about leaving the past behind and stepping out with um that became our song during that season of time and the second thing i learned is that god is in the business of repurposing and how we can come to love our new purpose just as much as the old purpose we didn't want to lose i love that so you know it's kind of a fresh do-over when we think we have a purpose in our life and we're dedicated to it and feel passionate about it and then everything changes that isn't the end of the story exactly i think that's so encouraging especially for somebody who might be listening who is experiencing on some level you know obviously circumstances are going to be different for every single one of us but experiencing that you know loss of a lifelong dream and now you're trying to figure out you know can i get excited about something new again and and hearing your story is proof that it can be that way. What's what's a specific encouragement you would want to give to somebody who is struggling through their own version of having to start over? What, what would you want to tell them? Oh, I would want to say it's never too late to be what God designed you to be. Um, we get to a certain season of life and we start thinking, I'm too old to volunteer or it's too risky to put my writing out there. What if I fail? What if no one likes what I have to offer, um, and we get really comfortable on the couch in this uh, later in life season. But here's the thing, if God has imprinted a vision upon our hearts, then he doesn't need us to have previous success or um, big enough platforms. He doesn't need our resources or our connections. He simply needs us to be available. So I would say again, it's never too late to be what God designed you to be. 
Do you have any specific steps that you would recommend? I know a lot of our listeners, they love to hear, you know, inspiring stories, but they also really want that practical, here's something intentional that I can walk away from this episode ready to start pursuing. Are there any specific things that you can think of that would really encourage her on how practically to get on that path? I'm a proponent of list making. So um, the first thing I would say is make a list of things that you'd like to do with your remaining days on earth. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean this as a bucket list. Mm -hmm. I mean more like, do you want to complete your degree or do you want to write a book? Do you want to rock babies in the hospital or um, maybe go with your church on a short-term mission trip? How do you want your remaining days to unfold and make a difference? And while you're in the process of writing this list, recognize your fears and name them out loud. And then determine the first steps to get you to where you want to go. So for example, if you wanted to learn to speak Spanish, but you uh, never signed up for a class or purchased Spanish speaking materials, what are your chances of learning the language? Mm -hmm. So determine what it is you want to do. Determine what is that first small step to get you to where you believe God is nudging you and then get off the couch. Mm -hmm. Mm. Get off the couch. That's probably the first step is get off the couch. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, you can write your list on the couch. I feel like that's worth saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if you're pregnant and your feet are swollen. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> no, but I do love that. And I would throw in, you know, put on your list a couple of exciting, mm. I never tried this, like mm -hmm. go on the scariest roller coaster you could possibly find or, yes. you know, just any adventure that you go, this might scare me. But you know what? I'm going to try it. And sometimes I think if you just do the small ones of this might scare me, but I'm going to try it. And you do. That helps you take steps forward to the bigger ones and the more challenging ones. Absolutely. When I was still widowed, I did um, what I called brave making campaigns. And that just means um, signing up for things that I'm afraid I'll fail at or mm -hmm. um, going back to places where Gary and I had been, but but going alone. And so I remember um, seeing people on the river that flows through our town on these on these surfboards, standing up and paddling. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I could never do that. So I took stand-up paddleboard lessons and and I rocked it. And awesome. I remember <laughs> I remember Gary and I had gone to um, to Alaska on our 25th anniversary and so i signed up for an alaskan cruise by myself just just as a brave making adventure just to um show that i could do these things so i love what you said darlene about getting on a roller coaster that's so cool well marlis thank you so much for hanging out with us today and just encouraging us that you know really until god calls us home he still has purpose for us and and it's okay and it's even good to seek the repurposing that he may be calling yes. us to in this season so i'll make sure to put in the show notes links to some of your articles for further reading so that our friends can get to know you more is there any other way they can learn more about you or more about the the writings and things that you do oh i do have a website it's um, renewrepurpose.com and i would love to have your readers or your listeners visit mm -hmm. that well, I'm sure they would love it if they did, because you are an inspiring woman, Marlis, and we are so thankful you joined us today. Thank you so much. Since we talked about the fact that your life can change at any point in time, at any age that you are, I think this Bible verse is really appropriate. Psalm 37, 25. I have been young, 
and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. I mean, I don't know if there's anything more encouraging to just embrace this grit and grace life at whatever stage you're at and with whatever you know fork in the road you may experience, there's still hope for the rest of the time God has given you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.